23. So let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in its originals. Um, We're going to be focused just on verse 1 on the first part, but I'm going to read it through together. We're going to be looking at it all month long. If you've never memorized Psalm 23, now is the time. Now is the time. I tell you, I met a fella, and before I did it, uh, I met a fella before I ended up doing his funeral. He'd been living in Sussex County there on the other side of Georgetown for a while, and one of his relatives had come to church, and they said, Uncle Earl is not doing well. I went to go see him, and as I met him, the first verse I mentioned was John 3.16, and he quoted it for me. And then I looked at him, and he had the breathing apparatus and all that stuff. And I said, do you know Psalm 23? And he shook his head, yes. And I started, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He chimed in with every word, O King James Version. It's beautiful. It's poetic. And when you find yourself without a Bible, without a smartphone, and without encouragement... I pray that the lips of Psalm, uh, the words of Psalm 23 would flow from your lips. Let us reverently attend. You're welcome to join me in the public reading here of Psalm 23 in the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll take these familiar words and and use them to be the catalyst of working faith in our hearts this very day. Oh Lord, I pray that you might grow us in our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the front of the bulletin card, you saw that beautiful picture of the green pastures and the still waters. We have had many opportunities over the last weeks and months and years to have turmoil, to have struggle. If I were to ask you and do an interview with you, if we would have had the group that's standing here, if I would have said to them, instead of just telling us your name and something quick about you, if I was to tell you some of your more recent pain, I think we would have been up here a lot longer. All of us have gone through a lot. There is none immune to it. The only time that you are going to find relief and that rest and that restoration of your soul is when you come to the foot of the cross. And it's only going to totally be cleared away when Jesus comes again after that last trumpet sounds and we're caught up together to be with our Lord. Now, the idea of peace, perfect peace, I wanted to start off with that because that's what Psalm 23 is all about. That you can have peace that passes earthly understanding. 
Yes, it is true that Paul says that instead of being anxious and full of all this busyness, he said in Philippians 4, 6, he said, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving in your heart, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God will keep you. I just want to start off with that beautiful thought. How many of you wish you had that peace? How many of you feel like you lose it? Oh, you get close to it, but it seems so far away. It's so fleeting. Peace, that, that song, I've got peace like a river. The peace of God is not a one-time punctiliar thing. It's something that continues to flow through you. See, God doesn't run out of it. And that's why the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, if you can help me, love, joy, peace. Just think about that. If you have the Spirit of God, you don't have to go through this life in all the turmoil. No, you can be the steady hand in the midst of the storm. You're the one that can give a word of comfort in the midst of struggle. Or as I've seen, when someone has a diagnosis in the hospital that they're not going to live but a number of hours. It's beautiful to see those who understand the peace of God because of peace with God. Psalm 23. We are familiar with it. I want to encourage you with it. You'll be surprised at what's in there. As we unpack this uh, verse by verse by verse, uh, there are a lot of things. I've been praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Our church has gone through some stuff, and we want to see the peace of God in all of our hearts. And the word that keeps coming up is this idea of restore. Did you notice in Psalm 23 the word restore? Who gets restored? He restores my soul individually. See, that's where it's going to start. The revival that's going to start starts with one person getting excited about Christ. And from one person, it's like a candle and at Christmas Eve. We light the whole room. And my prayer is that that is what God does with everybody that's here. That God will begin a work in you, a fresh work, and he will change this world. Getting it ready for his son's return. Now, with that in mind, the points of the sermon are a little different. As I shared with the beach, it's really an easy sermon. It's as easy as one, two, three, four. That's the way if you're taking notes, and those of you that are doing the wow notes, there's four points today instead of three. Easy to remember. I hope that you'll follow along with me. We're looking at the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. If you would repeat that with me, the Lord is my shepherd. That's it. I want you to have that part down. I want it to be echoed. There's songs we could sing about it. But I want you to know, the Lord is my shepherd. Because that's the first point. One phrase. The second point is going to be two concepts. The third point is going to be three confessions. And the fourth point is going to be four applications or four convictions. So if you're following along with me, you already know the first point. It's the Bible. God gave us this one phrase. It came out of the mouth of David. Now, this is God's word. It's inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible. But this is God wanting us to know something about God. So when you first look at that simple little phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, in the Hebrew, it's even a few words less. 
because some of them are implied in the way that the construction of the Hebrew. But wow, just ponder that for a moment. God wanted us to know this, this one phrase, and it changes so many things. This phrase was written by a fellow named David. You know, we always talk about only a boy named David, only a little sling. We know about David when he was a youngster. We know that he had a sling. And we know that David ended up standing before a giant that was nearly 10 feet tall. And that giant came crashing down. But David had had his difficult times before this. He was the youngest of the family of Jesse. And David grew up out in the fields. And what was he keeping watch over? His flocks. Right out there outside of the town, the little town of Bethlehem. You know, all of those things come together. If you hear all those Christmas songs, oh, little town of Bethlehem, it was, it was the, the town of David. And David was keeping and tending to the sheep out there where the angels eventually came. And they said, uh, fear not, for behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, the Lamb of God. You see, the word of God was coming through this little boy named David. And this one phrase was echoed out of his lips because he understood the whole concept The Lord is my shepherd. The word of God. By hearing the word of God, you too will gain strength. Now, I want to unpack the word of God by saying what's in that one phrase. There are two concepts. There are two concepts that are just, they're just like V8 moments. Slap here, slap here. You're going to end up seeing that the first concept is the first word. The Lord. In the Hebrew, it is Yahweh which is the word for God. It's the name for the covenant-keeping God. It's the God who came to Moses. It's the God who first came to Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. God. So the the first concept is that God is real. It's the reality of God. David is out there as a shepherd boy, and he's focused on the fact that God is a living person. God is a being that we should take notice of. And the second concept that's inherent in that phrase, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, is that this God is supposed to be in relation to us. Now, when you think about that for a moment, if there is a God who is independent, who is all by himself, unlike anything else, there is a God and he's real. We would say he is infinite, eternal, unchangeable. In his being are wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. This is the God. That exists. Now the question is, are you in relation with him? Is there a relationship you have with that God? David tells us in that one phrase that people like you and me are supposed to have a relationship with God. We're not, we're not just supposed to be cut off. It's not like two separate entities. This morning I used the illustration. I don't know if you've seen the new Star Trek movie. I haven't yet. But when they go out and they go into the beyond, it's not like a, to infinity and beyond, but they're trying to go where no man has ever gone. And what is Gene Roddenberry's vision of Star Trek? To go where no man has ever been, but they're actually trying to seek out life forms. They're trying to find out what God is. Every one of the episodes showed some kind of facet, some kind of intelligence, some kind of thing 
They had different characters that played different aspects of God. But they're always in search of God. Because man, fundamentally, is out of fellowship with God. So the two concepts, one is that God is, secondly is that God is to be in relationship with us. Now, I told you the four points. The first point is there's one phrase, the scripture. Second point is there's two concepts in that one phrase. And the third thing is the three confessions that David gives in this. This is our, our, the guy who wrote it tells us three things that are going on in his soul. Three aspects, three fundamental things, three confessions. He says, this is where I am. The first one, in the English Bible, you see the word the. It's not actually in, in the Hebrew. But it focuses our thoughts on the fact that there is only one God. David is now saying, Yahweh, I know him. I know God. And he describes God by his personal covenant-keeping name. He's confessing a knowledge of God. Now, I want to tell you that when he was out in the, sh- in the fields as a youngster, ignored by his older brothers. Remember when Samuel came to the house to anoint uh, one of Jesse's sons? He-, he went through all the lists and they finally had to go find David who was out in the field. I believe David was out there with his harp or his lyre and he was playing music and he was making worship songs. Some of those songs have, record- have been recorded in Scripture in the Psalms. And Psalm 23 is one of them. These are musical things. David was out there. He knew God. And he was thinking about God. And that's his one confession. He says, I know Yahweh. Now, that's one confession. Now, if you look a little bit later in that one phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, the next focus point is the word my. Of course, in the Hebrew, this possessive kind of pronoun that we have in English is a little bit different. But the idea of my shepherd is really kind of an interesting thing. Because for King David, whether he was not king yet, I, he became, he, he was king for 30 years. But there was a while before he got there. David, as a young man, is, is talking about the relationship that he has with God is like he's a sheep and God is his shepherd. David understands this. David confesses it. That's why in Psalm 100, when we quoted that one, we have the same thing. We're just like his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. And that's where you get this confession. David is not fighting against God. He is saying, he is my shepherd. And as I often want to mention, he didn't say that, that, that uh, Yahweh is his subject. He didn't say that Yahweh was his servant. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. The relationship that he had with Yahweh was he was the sheep, Yahweh was the shepherd. Or in, and Jesus uses the term a little bit more intimate when he says, you are the child and God is the father. And when you ponder these things, the confession of David, he was not afraid to say, I'm a sheep. He was not afraid to be able to recognize that he was in subordination to the shepherd's leadership. It's a beautiful picture about having a godly position of leader and and follower. It's a beautiful thing. So you have the one confession where he says, I know Yahweh. And then another confession, he says, I'm in right relationship with Yahweh. He's my shepherd. I'm following him. Where he leads me, I will go. And he's hoping, he says, to still waters and to green pastures. 
Do you believe that God is going to lead you to those good places too? Or do we have so much tarnished damage in our lives that we couldn't confess that? I know enough people who, I couldn't even get all my relatives to show up at the beach service today. With a sunny day, with the beach, it's over by 9.30. I mean, what else can you offer to people? They don't even take up an offering there either. But it's like, that's not the hope. What draws you to God? It should be God. If you are in right relationship with God, you'll move when he moves. When he picks up the crook and starts to go, where are you going to go? Wherever he goes. He leads. And that's what David said. I'm following. The third confession is with the word is. The Lord... I'm not going to touch that one. The Lord is my shepherd. The word is is a verb. And it's an interesting phrase in there. It's a state of being. It has a punctiliar aspect to it that right now is the state of being. But it also has a progressive aspect to it, meaning that from now and going forward, the eternal present, so to speak. You know, right now is the moment. Five minutes from now when we get there, it'll be, will be there and it'll be the present. You see, the present tense is what David is confessing. He is trying to tell us that he's not putting it off till his deathbed. He's not putting it off until he get a cancer diagnosis. He's not putting it off until somebody else does this for them or does that for them or pays this money or says this, says this apology or goes here for them or paves the road for this. David says, right now, I confess, right now, I'm in the place I need to be. Present tense. Are you there yet? You're in church on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day. My prayer and my hope is that you are able to be at peace. He's led you here and you followed. Right now, present tense. You don't have to wait for something. You don't have to wait for that last trumpet to blow finally before we get to exit out of this world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. When the dead in Christ will be raised first at the sound of the trump, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together and we won't ever have to do, deal with anything with politics. We won't ever have to deal with any more with poverty. We won't ever have to deal with stuff. Why? Because we'll be with Jesus. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, we'll be changed and we'll get a new body that'll be like his. What a glorious day that will be. But right now, we're still in this body and we're still living in a fallen world. David confesses that he's at peace with God when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The fourth point of the sermon is the applications. Four different things I want to ask you. The four things that that arise out of this first phrase. I want to ask you first, are you, do you know God? What do you know about God? You see, in the catechisms, when we, when we go back to 1648, when, when the parliament was trying to make sense and say, well, what is standard? What should all the Christians know about God? They authorized the parliament over there at the Westminster Abbey. They said to the clergy that were all around England, they were saying, hey, we have a church of England. We're supposed to be Bible-believing. Let's get some of the best preachers together. And it took them five years, from 1643 to 1648. They put together the Westminster Confession of Faith. 
pretty good document. It's not too big. Those of you that have joined the church, you're supposed to be familiar with it. Those people that are, that are actually members, that are going to be on the leadership team, they actually have to read it and tell us if they disagree with it. The confession. But in the confession, it starts off with this one idea, which is consistent with John Calvin many years later in the, in the late 1400s or in the early 1500s. And they start off with an understanding of God. In Calvin's Institutes, one of the first theology books written, it's the knowledge of God the Father. Then the second book is the knowledge of God the Son. And then the third book is the knowledge of God the Spirit. And the fourth book is the knowledge of the church. And that's the early church was all trying to find out about God. And I'm asking you, what do you know about God? Do you know that God is not something that you can just handle and put in your pocket or catch with your phone? I do know that Pokemon uses churches as one of the places you can capture it. Haven't tried it yet here, but I've seen some people on our parking lot. God is not to be captured by a phone or by some magic ball that goes through to some theoretical idea that he's there. No, God is real. Do you know God? If you know God, then you don't have to look at your phone to find him. If God is indwelling you, then you can speak to him in your prayers and he hears you. You don't have to have this, well, I wonder if he's listening. You can go back to the book of Judges and it's really kind of humorous when when they think that their king was listening, but he was off going to the bathroom. Actually, he had died. Or if you're on Mount Carmel and they were crying out to Baal and they said, cut yourselves and dance and be a little louder. And Elijah says to him, what, is he on vacation? You see, if you know God, Yahweh, that's the first thing I want you to know God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal. He's triune. He is complete in himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's not three gods. We're not polytheistic. We believe in one God, thoroughly complete. Do you know God? That's the first thing I want you. If you want to know God, study the scriptures. The Westminster Confession spent a lot of time trying to tell us what we're to believe about God and what duty God requires of us. That's what the whole confession's all about. It's about God and about how we relate to God. So the first point, are you convinced that every day you'll get up and you'll acknowledge God? Lord, what would you have me do? See God's fingerprints on things. As we're at the beach, we named the service the sunrise at the beach and we spelled it wrong. We spelled it S-O-N instead of S-U-N. And that also allowed us to have church at 8.30 instead of 6.30. So we didn't have to watch the sun rise pretty early. But this idea about the Son of God, S-O-N, is knowing God. First thing, do you know God? Second question I want to ask you is, are you following him? Is the Lord your shepherd? You see, when David confesses he's my shepherd, I'm telling you, that's a great confession. That tells me, and it helps me to understand how he could be a man after God's own heart. He wanted to follow God. He understood that when the shepherd was going to lead, he was going to go. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us are more quick to say, oh, no, we don't want to go over there. The grass is greener over here. I don't know how many times you've done it, but I know I've tried to do it. God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. Why? Because we lean on our own understanding instead of acknowledging him and following our shepherd. Now, I have to tell you, David messed up a few times. 
I'm right when he became king, and you can see the old city of, of Jerusalem where his palace was put, and he sat up there on top of his place and looked over top of the, the town. From his perspective, he had a great vista. His house was a little higher than the rest, and that's when he started seeing things he shouldn't have seen. And he looked at Bathsheba, and instead of following the Lord, he leaned on his own understanding, and he got into a lot of trouble. A lot of tears were caused. A lot of tears fell. I'm telling you that we need to follow God. Is the Lord your shepherd? I mean, that's the second question that I'm asking, a conviction. Are you convinced to follow wherever he leads? Now, the other point is, is the third question is about time. When are you going to follow the Lord? Are you going to put it off until you get your degree? Are you going to put it off until you get to sow your wild oats? On the other day, as we drove through Dewey, and I saw all those high schoolers there, uh, there was somebody in the car that says, you know what Dewey is famous for? I don't know how many of you have been through Dewey as a teenager and as a, as a 20-something and a 30-something. It's not known for its Christianity. My point is this, is that... Some of us are inclined to say, well, we'll put it off until we get our, our own agenda done. I want to tell you that now is the day of salvation. Today is the day for repentance. Present tense. When do you get to live? Do you get to live in the past? No, it's already past. Those of you that live in the past, you guys are missing out on the present when you, when you remember the glory days, when you feel like you had strength, when you could travel here, or when you did this, or when you had that great exploit, or whatever the event was. You can't live in the past. You have to live in the present. And you can't live in the future. We can hope for a, glory, a beautiful day coming, but God tells us to live in the present. It's a gift from God. Enjoy it. I want to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If you know God and you know we should be following God, then follow him now. And the fourth conviction, the fourth time we come, it's simply, if the Lord is my shepherd. It is a plea to be like a sheep. Folks, I want you to know that the idea of my shepherd is another say of saying, I'm a sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray We've turned everyone to his own way. We are so prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. We know the songs. We're prone to leave the God we love. On this day, I want to encourage you to be a sheep, but to understand that the only reason why you can be a good sheep is because Jesus became a sheep for you. The Lamb of God. Those words were uttered right out of, they were uttered right out of John the baptizer's mouth when he saw Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God, the one sheep who was perfect, the one sheep who was going to be slaughtered to take away the sins of the world. Or as Isaiah said 600 plus years earlier, he said, like a lamb before the shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The crown of thorns was not placed on my brow, but on his. Did he die for your sins? Oh, Lord Jesus, as we conclude today, I pray that you will inspire and encourage the saints of God. 
I pray that we might go forth from this place eager to be sheep. Yes, we may smell. Yes, we may not have beautiful abodes or housing. Lord, we may not be yet at the green pastures or yet by the still waters, but we know that we have a shepherd, a good shepherd. John chapter 10 tells us all about those details and we'll explore in weeks to come. Lord, I pray that there's someone here today for the first time who understood that God needs to be in their life. That the relationship that's supposed to be with God is not one where God listens to them, but it's where they listen to God. Oh, Lord, if someone is at that place and they're understanding that the Lord is my Savior, He died for me. I pray that you'll grant to them great faith, that they might be like that one young man or one fellow who stood here today by profession of faith. I pray that those who come to faith would stand up for Jesus and make it known that we are his sheep, we are his. And we pray this in Jesus' name. The splendor of a king.